I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey, hey, this is your first million. This is Arlen. We are back. We're back. Very excited about that. Always excited to be back. If you listen to more than one episode of this podcast, you know that because I say it every time, but I mean it every time. Really stoked to be here and to welcome you back. It's been maybe, I don't know, a week and a half since we had a new episode. Because of the holiday weekend in the U.S., I decided to take a slight break from the podcast uh, release and kind of get going right out the gate next weekend. So we're back with a new episode, new interview. The last episode, the bonus episode, I would say check it out. It's the first episode where I interview a presidential candidate. And I think you'll enjoy, hopefully, the conversation I have with Mayor Pete. And if I have another chance to interview another presidential nominee, you better believe I'm going to take it. It was uh, really, really a, a fantastic time just being able to moderate that town hall in Oakland with Mayor Pete. He's uh, he's one of many candidates. I have not made my decision about who I'm going to vote for yet, just like most people in the U.S. haven't made their decision yet. But you better believe also that whoever becomes the Democratic nominee, I will be backing. Now, I realize that there are people who listen to this podcast who are not going to be voting for a Democratic nominee. And I respect that. And I don't understand it. I'll be very frank with you. I do not understand it, but I respect it. And so if you want to have your voice heard, and either way, if, if you want to have a conversation with me about it, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, I want you to have that voice. So send a file, like an MP3 or a voice message type thing, send that over to me through Anchor, which is anchor.fm, through this show's website, which is anchor.fm slash yfm. Or you can send a, an email out to me or a DM and just ask me anything, and I'll try to answer it here. Now, we're going to get into this next interview. I've been waiting a while to interview Melissa Butler. I've been waiting probably two years, even before I had this podcast, because she's phenomenal, and she's a powerhouse, and I greatly respect her. I first saw Melissa Butler speaking at an event in New York, probably maybe a good two years ago. And then I was on a panel with her at Essence Fest in 2018. And that was a great panel. And I've just watched her work or do her thing. And I always wanted to know a little bit more of the behind the scenes 
of how she got here, of how she feels about it, of what she, you know, what really goes on behind the scenes at her company, what really happened on that Shark Tank episode when they called her that name. Hey, if you want to check it out, listen to this episode. She talks about it all. She she came by the house a few days ago and she just dropped some knowledge and dropped some information. She is the founder of Lip Bar, the Lip Bar. They have a flagship store in Detroit, and they're also available in 450 locations, target locations across the U.S. and growing. We'll see about that, too. So listen in. It's a good one. If you like this episode, it make it reminded me a lot of Don Dixon, her episode, not because of necessarily what they do, but what they kind of how they got here how they got their first million. So if you like this one, go back and listen to Don's, listen to any episode. If there's ever a weekend where we don't drop a new episode, please, please, please just go back and listen to some old ones because that you missed because uh, there's uh, a lot of love that goes into every episode. Last thing I'll say is that there is a bonus episode this time around as well. Therese Tucker, listen to it. You'll love it. You'll, it'll make you want to find your first billion. Here we go. Where do you live? Where are you based out of? So I live in Detroit, but I kind of live everywhere, to be honest. And I think that's what what it looks like for a lot of entrepreneurs right now, just hustling from coast to coast. So I am based in Detroit, but quite often I am in New York. I am in L.A. I'm in Atlanta. Yes. And right now you're in L.A. How long have you been in L.A.? Honestly, on and off the entire month. I think I've been here for probably 20 days this month. We do a lot of our manufacturing here. So right now we're like knee deep. We're actually late on production timing. So it required me to be here a little bit more. Tell me first, what does it mean to color match? You said you have been here this week, color matching. What does that mean? So I own a beauty brand. And so beauty is for us, obviously, it's going to be very visual. It's about matching complexions, matching tone, thinking about undertones and just getting very skin specific. And so we're gearing up to launch our very first complexion product, which is foundation. And so we have been matching the actual pre-production sample, like before it goes into the tube to make sure that it's right. Mm -hmm. Because once it's in the tube, that's it. It's it's no taking it out. Then it's just money wasted. Let's go back then. Name your company. So the Lip Bar is a vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free cosmetic company that exists primarily to change the way people think about beauty. And what are the products that you have currently on the market? Currently, our core is lip. So we have organic glosses. We have lip stains. We have traditional lipsticks and liners. We just uh, made our first foray into non-lip items, which is a bronzer and blush duo that just launched in July. And the response has been insane. Yes. What does insane mean? How's the response? Insane means that we were really nervous about launching outside of lip because we are the lip bar. And so it meant a lot for us to get our community to rally behind this product. And people like very high high profile influencers like Jackie Ina have been like using it and wearing it and describing it as fire. Or like our customers are saying like, you know, I like your lip. I wasn't expecting to like your bronzer and blush, but like this is the best blush I've ever had. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that has been like really affirming for us. So this is your first million. I um, 
No, you've been on the, you've been out there for a while. Yeah. You're in 450 target stores. Target stores. Yeah. So you all have made your first million in revenue? We've made our first million in revenue. Um, the company started in 2012 with me making lipstick in my kitchen. And so for the first three years, everything was just like, it was a, it was a hobby business. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know anything about business, about retail, certainly nothing about beauty. And so I would say for the first four to five years of the company, it was kind of like my education into an industry that was very saturated, but also very unknown to me. And so once I got that education and, and ultimately once I put myself at the forefront of the business, we really started to grow. Let's break both of those down. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by getting your education? How did you get your education in this particular field? Yeah. So I'm a finance girl. I started my career on Wall Street. Um, So I was a numbers girl. Like I studied business finance, moved to New York, worked on Wall Street for four and a half years. So with that being said, and even to this day, I tell my customers, like, I don't really know how to do makeup. Like I'm not a makeup artist and the Lip Bar's customer is not a makeup artist. She's a makeup enthusiast. She values her time. She also wants to show up and look her best. It's like, you want to look good. You want to feel good so you can do good sort of thing. And so Um, with me not having like roots within this industry, there was a lot for me to learn. And so I started reading books on cosmetic chemistry. I started reaching out to industry professionals, people who I admired from afar. Mentorship is huge, but it's like, what happens if you don't know like how to access those mentors? So I just kind of like, I started reaching at them from afar, even without them actually talking to me, like watching them, studying them, people like Richard Ludennis, people like Lisa Price, um, studying Madam. CJ Walker, like literally like Poppy King. And and then ultimately I started reaching out to people. Like, of course they didn't respond all the time. Um, So I was reaching out to like tycoons within the industry, but also just people who are like, industry influencers. And like, this is 2012. So I'm not talking about people who are putting makeup on their face. I'm talking about cosmetic chemists. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about people who are like VPs of marketing at Avon and just kind of letting them know what I was doing and why I was doing so that I could, you know, get any, any sort of perspective from them. And that, that was my education, just like putting myself out there from the perspective of, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing and this is my goal in, in an effort to just learn anything and mm-hmm. everything. And this is what I say a lot of the time is I, I even have a video clip of me saying, if you can't get a mentor, let people mentor you through audio, through video. Let yes. Oprah, Oprah can talk to you. Absolutely. She can tell you all kinds of things. Oprah talks to me all the time. She does. She talks to me too. <laughs> <laughs> she talks to me too. And so I think people, they want that. When they ask that question, will will I be their mentor or mentor or will I connect them to a mentor? They want that answer of, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. let, let, let's do coffee. Yeah, but and you don't always need that. You don't, and because you did that in that in that order where you first you studied, mm-hmm. first you kind of became. It sounds like you're like me a little bit with the venture stuff. You became a little obsessed with it and just surrounded Absolutely. yourself with it, and then you knew who to reach out to instead of it being this sort of throw it throw it out there and see what sticks. Yeah. yeah. So but I only knew about like who to go after or who to like seek out for mentors or, or to study because I became obsessed with the industry. Like I was working 
50, 60 hours a week and then coming home and staying up until two, three in the morning, whether that was looking for suppliers because manufacturing in the U.S. is expensive. So I knew that I wanted my packaging to be made overseas. So like I'm staying up, like having calls with people who are in China. I'm staying up studying. I'm staying up looking for more people to reach out to. And it's like, that's just what being hungry is. Mm-hmm. And why why did you know to do that? Why did you know to take that path? Was it was it learned? Uh, I think a lot of my path has just been being naive. Like even me getting into like retail was me being naive. I didn't know that you're not supposed to reach out to the buyer. So I guess I had a sense of entitlement and that I felt like I could reach out and ask and what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. They can tell me no. All right. So what? I go to the next person. I've never been afraid to fail. Ever. Do you feel like you approached it the right way? Do you feel like you, was there a certain way you would write the email or say a certain thing you would say on the call? Yeah. Um, well, of course not. The first few times I did not know how to um, approach relationship building. I, I still can't say that I'm the best at relationship building. Um, I think initially my approach was just like, you know, what's in it for me? And the best relationships are always going to be built when it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So to this day, when I'm reaching out to someone, and this is one of the things that I've had to learn, no matter what step you are in, in your journey or what level you are, you are at, there's always value that you can add. So it's like, you can be looking at this person like, oh, but they're at, they're at step 10 and you're at step one, but you feel like you have nothing to add. You feel like they can't learn anything from you. And I think after a while of reaching out, I started realizing like, well, wait, I'm on the ground floor of this thing. And like, I have a lot more flexibility and I can test things that they can't test. And so I started changing the way I thought about myself and really just understanding that I also had value, that I also had a voice and that, you know, ultimately I needed to feel like I was worthy to to be talked to or else I was never going to get someone to like, help guide me. Mm. Um, So originally and initially, absolutely not. I was like probably reaching out like, hey, I'm Melissa, tell me everything. Let me pick your brain. You know, that sort of mentality. And like Mm. nobody just, nobody has time for you to just pick their brain. Like people are busy. You're reaching out to me because you admire what I do. Therefore, I am busy. Um, And so now I approach relationship building from a a very different perspective. And it's like, you know, it's friendship first or it's relationship first or it's commonality first. Um, And of course, you want to get business done, but and you want to you want to extract whatever you need to extract. But don't think about it in a way where it's only for you. Hmm. And you said the second part of that was that you put yourself in the mix in a way. Were you more behind the scenes then than you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I used to be afraid of being at the forefront of my business, um, primarily because I didn't want people to want to be me. The Lit Bar has always been about allowing people to see themselves. Um, What I didn't realize, and this is probably one of the biggest learning lessons of like growing this company, is that People have seen me and they've been inspired by me to the point that they're like, I can do this too through watching you. And so if I don't share my story, if I don't put it out there that these are the hurdles that I've overcome or, you know, this is how I've gone about this, then they don't have that exposure. And I think everything in life is about exposure. Like the reason I am an entrepreneur right now is because I grew up watching my cousin, you know, run a throwback jersey shop. And like he gave me that exposure. He taught, he was my first person to teach me about margin. He's like, I bought this jersey 
for $60 and I'm going to sell it for $180. Do you know what that means? You know, um, and it took that for me to understand that I could also be an entrepreneur. And maybe two and a half years ago, I decided to step in the forefront of the business. Influencer marketing was really taking off and influencers were quite expensive and we didn't have the budget to do that. And so, you know, I'm a very scrappy person. I'm like, okay, well, I can be my own influencer. Like I don't, I don't need to pay you X amount of dollars to tell my story because no one is going to tell my story better than me. And I understood that that was one of my superpowers. And so I was like, you know what? I guess I can get in front of the camera too. I guess I can get behind the mic. I guess I can get on the stage and tell this story um, that I so passionately believe in. And that's what, what was really the catalyst for growth within the lip bar. I would assume it was after that decision that you all made your first million it was, in revenue. It, can it you was. talk can you speak to that time? Did you even notice when it happened? Or do you think because if you think of some people wonder like what is really the first million? Is it if you make it in one year, calendar year or do you make it over time? But to you, whenever that was, what was that time like for you? Yeah, for me it was it was a scary time just because I didn't really know what it looked like to be in the limelight. I don't know if I was prepared for the scrutiny that comes with that. So I was in a place of personal development. Like personally, I was thinking of like, okay, well, how do I be a CEO and how do I be a leader and how do I also be the face of this business? Um, I think about making a million in a calendar year um, from basically from Jan to December and me stepping into the forefront of the business grew our revenue like 300% from the year prior. Mm. And it was crazy. And we're still a very small company, but like I know for a fact that that was one of the reasons that people started to really like love the lip bar because we added that human element. And people, people want authenticity right now. People want someone that they can relate to because again, right now entrepreneurship is, it's sexy. Like people love it. It's very aspirational and they need to see like, oh, she did it. Well, I can do it too. And so by me sharing that story and, and talking about my journey to entrepreneurship, because it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, people were like, I rock with you and I want to support you and I believe in what you're doing now because now I can understand what you're doing because you've told me. Before it was like, oh, I see pictures, I I'm reading words, but there was no true connectivity. And the connectivity, like the gap was me. Like I had to be the person to bridge the gap between the product and, and between the customer. And that's something someone listening right now, depending on what their product is, but a product service company is, but in most cases can do tomorrow for free. Yeah. Can put oh, themselves absolutely. out there like that. And then when you think about like huge brands, and I don't know why this didn't click to me earlier, but it's like, you know, Uncle Ben's. Like, we don't know who the hell Uncle Ben is, but they decided to put a face to that because they wanted you to connect to something like the Popeye's chicken lady. Like there is there is a human figure behind a lot of these huge multinational corporations mm. because people want to connect to something. Mm. It's like, oh, you're using Mama's syrup or yeah. Mrs. Butterworth. Yeah. Like you want to feel like you're in your, your aunt's kitchen or your grandma's yeah. kitchen. And so when I started thinking about those human elements of CPG businesses, I was like, I am doing my company a disservice by not stepping into the forefront. There are all types of people with different backgrounds that listen to this podcast. 
break down what CPG means. Yes, CPG is basically consumer products and goods. So it's anything that is a a tangible good that you are selling. Um, Oftentimes it is a consumable. And so makeup, while it's not that replenishable, um, is a consumable product. And so that is the industry that I'm in. So basically everything that you see in Target stores is a CPG item. Yes. A lot of the people who come to me on like Instagram, which I know right now I can I can kind of see this. I'm going to post that there is an interview with you. People from Instagram are going to go listen to it, <laughs> right? And a lot of the people who write to me in the DMs who are starting companies are starting a beauty company uh-huh. or CPG type of company. Yep. There, are, there are many. So there are a lot of people that they make their own uh, materials, kind of like what Rich did, what you were doing, all of that. How do you... Um, what sort of advice do you have for someone in such a crowded space? Yeah. What can set them apart? Yeah. So while beauty, for instance, and it's it's not just beauty, it's, I mean, it's any consumable, toothpaste, toilet paper, it's all very saturated. But I personally don't, I don't lean into the saturation. Instead, I think about segmentation. And so what that means is, Within this saturated market, there's still a customer who I'm sure is not being served. And when you're thinking about building your brand or your product or your service, think about like why you are frustrated with your product experience and solve that need. So if you are looking to go into a very saturated space, you have to think about it from a solution oriented perspective. And so in 2012, when I started the Lip Bar, um, vegan and cruelty-free and paraben-free and diversity and inclusion wasn't the hot topic with makeup. Seven years later, diversity is the only topic in makeup and it's it's caused us to actually have to pivot. And so when, when I think about like, what is our unique value proposition today? It's like, okay, well, Diversity and inclusion and and our ingredient story will always be a part of the foundation, but it can't be the only thing because it's easily copied. So when you're thinking about saturated markets, number one, you need to know that you're going to have to pivot more than likely because, you know, a big company with a larger marketing budget can easily come and copy what you're doing. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, that was my my unique value proposition, too. Um, so I would I would urge you to, number one, carve out your lane for your customer who is not being served. Really think about it from a solutions oriented perspective. And then also think about like the pivot. Think about what's next. Like you always want to go into business, especially like a product based business thinking about like, how can you be better than your current product? How can you be better than your current assortment? Because your competition certainly is. Um, So for us right now, we're about to launch a makeup system. And like, we're really excited about it. It's launching next month. And our big thing is like, okay, well, lips are not replenishable. Everyone is all about diversity and inclusion. How do we solve a problem within the beauty industry? And this system is is really going to solve that. When you think about companies like L'Oreal and the big the big companies, yeah. right? And their lipsticks. And I, I have to say, I the first time I ever wore makeup for real, for real, was last July or June when I was taking the photograph from my yeah. fast company cover. And I've worn makeup many times after that because of being on stage and, and print and everything. 
but I couldn't apply lipstick right now if you bet me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to. So I don't know. I, I'm saying L'Oreal. I'm assuming that I'm right about that, that they have lipstick. Um, when you think about those companies, but I think it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think it's beautiful. And I, that it, yours, like your line draws me in because of the way that you present it. You know, it's yeah. these bold colors and these, it's very cool. Um, but when you think about those large companies and, First of all, the fact that I think most of them have, like, they don't have women as their CEOs. No, no. And then second of all, they've had many faux pas, not just L'Oreal, I'm not picking all on them, them, but so all of them. And they, it really did take a Rihanna and a, and a Pat coming in and doing well for them to take any notice. And yeah. you were over here waving your arms around for I'm seven like, hey, years. I've been here. Yeah. What do you think about that? How do you, how do you think about that today from your purview? Um, I'm happy that it happened. Um, competition, especially in saturated spaces, like new competition that really like create ground or have groundbreaking results or earth shattering results are good for business simply because I have been waving for seven years, but it wasn't until Fenty launched that people were willing to listen. It wasn't until the results of Fenty, because they made like $72 million their first month which is like unprecedented, um, that it, it made like my fundraising conversation easier. It made my retail conversations easier because people now understood that that having this diverse assortment within their beauty catalog, that it was of value. So before I was having to convince people that what I was saying was actually of importance. Like they're like, you don't need any more lipstick. We already have enough. There's so much saturation. It was like that saturation conversation. And what I was trying to tell them is like, oh yeah, there's so much saturation, but you're missing out on a completely different consumer segment. And so like one of my, um, one of my pitch points in, in, in getting into Target stores was like, look, my customers are shopping there for hair care, but then they're not shopping there for makeup. And that's because it's like, you don't have anything for them. But I do. And so like, allow me to come in and show you what this customer group can do. And this was before Fenty. But now it's like, they understand that my voice is, is valid. They understand that I have perspective. They understand that there's money within this industry. And now, like the multicultural market is like the gold rush. Everybody is like, oh, I'm gonna launch 100 foundation shades. Oh, we gonna put like, right now, diversity is kind of like, it's very formulaic. It's like, oh, we're going to put a black woman. We're going to put an Asian woman. We're going to put um, a woman in a hijab. Like people are literally like, okay, well, let me, let me line up my diversity so that I don't get talked about. It's almost like a gimmick now. So that part of it is, a, is frustrating. But like the newcomers to the market who have certainly made the market bigger, like I'm, I'm happy. I'm yeah. excited. In that case, all boats rise, but also, like you say, it brings more attention to someone who has been around mm -hmm. for a while because it does, you can't build what you've built overnight. Right. So even if they tried or wanted to, they couldn't build that authenticity overnight. The big, the big guns couldn't build the authenticity no. and the newcomers couldn't build the kind of mark that you've made or the, the yeah, the history, yeah, the history, yeah, and customers are smart now. So, long gone are, are the days of I'm gonna put 
this product in a brown bottle and like, hey, black people, this is for you. Like those days yeah. are over. Yeah. Like we have expectations, we have demands now and, and customers are sniffing out yeah. like the fake. Like they're like, I want something authentic. I want someone I can believe in. I want someone who looks like me. Um, maybe like three years ago, I started noticing a shift, maybe three, four years ago people would come up to our booth at a trade show or they would come to our lip bar truck when we had our mobile vehicle and they would say, is this black owned? Like immediately, like that would be one of the first questions. So consumers are, are thinking before like putting their disposable dollars to use. They're like, is this local? Is this woman owned? Because they want to support someone who they think is going to put money back into their community. So I was talking to a friend of mine, a black friend of mine has a black owned beauty company. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that it was, uh, from time to time, it was really hard for them to rally black buyers around and black shoppers around their beauty products. Mm -hmm. What I want to ask you is not necessarily if that's the case. I want to ask you, what do you want from your customers? And I know all of your customers, your customers are varied. I, yeah, the first time I ever talked, the very first time I heard you talk, you talked about that, and mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. You said everybody got lips, <laughs> <laughs> right? I thought that was like a right on. Um, but for you to be successful and for you to become the breakout hit, what do you need from the customer? Do you need them? Do you need everyone listening right now to go onto a website, find the target that you're in, or go to your website and and order? $30, $50, $80 worth of product. Do you what do you do you need a a loyal returning customer? Do you need someone who just wears the product? Well, how do you think about that? So, that story is changing a little bit. Right now, our core is lip. And yes. lip is not replenishable. So, while it's nice to get that initial purchase, like of course I want everybody listening to go onto the lipbar.com and buy some lipstick. Yeah. Um, but what that looks like over time, if we only have lip is, is not the highest lifetime value of, of a customer. And so what's most beneficial for us right now is customer acquisition. So getting that new customer, getting new customers, mm. getting more people to know what the lip bar is. So with everyone looking at content, all day long, it is much more difficult to acquire a new a new customer. So it's like, even if you've heard of the Lip Bar, you've been on our, our social media page, you've, you may have even come to our website. They say it takes the average customer seven to 10 times to hear about a company before they decide to make a purchase with you. And so for us, it's like, okay, well, how do we build the brand awareness so that we can convert so that we can retarget so that we can ultimately try to build some form of brand loyalty. Now, millennials especially are not loyal to brands anymore, certainly not beauty brands. Um, it's like you might have one signature shade that you'll buy over and over again. Everything else is kind of like a it's it's based on your mood sort of thing. And so what's super valuable for us right now is making sure that when people see us, that they have some sort of affinity to the brand. When that when people see us on a Target shelf or people see us at a trade show, it's not something that's foreign to them because having a brand that's foreign in a space that's super saturated, it doesn't encourage um, your it doesn't encourage your willingness to try. 
It doesn't encourage your willingness to even allow a friend to try. So like makeup is super intimate. Um, and especially lip color, like a lot of people, you'll wear your, your everyday nude and that's fine. But when it comes to pops of color, people typically like will ask a friend about it. Hmm. And if that friend hasn't heard of the brand, they may not have that trust built in to say, yeah, I think you should get that. So those are just some of the things that we've learned over time where it's like we're really just trying to grow the brand awareness so that when you see Lip Bar, you're you're more willing to give us a chance. And Lip Bar is it's so it's black owned. It's right now it's about the lip, but you're building out product. We're building out product. You have a presence online. Where are you where are you on Instagram and Twitter? How do people find you in the and where the kids are. I don't know. I don't know Instagram and Twitter. I, yeah, we're we're on Instagram. I think we're about to download TikTok though. Yes, I think we're about I, to get, get involved on, I, on TikTok and make some music videos. Oh, <laughs> is, that what, is that what TikTok is? I don't, I'm so. I yeah, I, I think it's like people doing like music videos, essentially. Oh, I think I could get down with that. Yeah, it's I, fun. I do that by myself a lot. I dance right. around and <laughs> sing and, or my version of sing. And do you have any any celebrity and endorsers or people who who buy the product that you know of? I mean, people buy the product very organically. So it wasn't until this year that we actually had a marketing budget. Yeah. So all of our growth has been pretty organic. So people like Jordan Sparks love the product. People like Taraji P. Henson love the product. Um, we have like a host of very popular um, YouTubers who love the product. Um, Lisa Price loves the product. Mm. So those are the moments where I'm kind of like, but how did you know about us? Yeah. Like I'm still a fan of it when it happens. Um, just because it's like, I'm still very much head down, knee deep in the business. And because it's so diverse, it's all, all sorts of people will pop up with that. Have you been in things like Vogue and things like that? Have yeah, you? we've we've had like a Vogue.com article. We've had a Teen Vogue article. Like we get a lot of press. I was on the Today Show a couple of weeks yeah. ago or a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, we've been in basically every national publication um, because people love the story. People love the authenticity. They love the resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on Shark Tank. I saw that. So let's talk about that a little bit <laughs> because, well, I don't know if you know this, but I have a, a joint venture with Mark Cuban now. Uh-huh. And I used to watch Shark Tank. I mean, for years, it's been on air for 10 years. I used to watch it for probably the first six years. I'd watch it almost every Friday when it came on or whatever day it came on. And I would always be that fourth, fifth judge because yeah. I'd be yelling at the screen. Your episode, I caught some of mm-hmm. um, because it, it kind of made waves because of the way they talked to you. Yeah. First of all, who was who was there? Who were the the investors uh, that were there? It was Mark Cuban. It was Robert. It was Lori. Um it was I'm having a brain fart. What's is his it, name? Uh, is it is the mean guy? The, no, I know him. Oh the nice guy? Robert no, the the Fubu guy. Oh Damon. Damon. Yeah. Damon, Damon was there. Um, and then it was Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. And so he was like incredibly cruel. He said we would never get any market share. He said it was clown makeup because when we first launched, we had all of these really bold colors because the idea was we wanted you to be able to express yourself. Yes, and that's what caught my attention. As someone who doesn't wear makeup, that caught my attention in a way that I want to know more about what you Yeah, we're like, express yourself. Like, we don't care if you want black lipstick, blue lipstick, red lipstick, no lipstick. Like, you should be able to, like, create your own mm. beauty rule. And when was this that you all were on? This is probably 2000, 
13 or 14. Oh, very early. It was very early in so the company. He, it was back in a time where, where he could say something like that and not have anybody call him out. Yeah. And it's so funny because now, six, seven years later, like all the Maybellines of the world yeah. are like creating blue pop, lipstick. Pop. You can't see, a, com- you can't see a commercial without the boom, boom, lime. Mm-hmm. So what was what were the words that he said to you that made he, the way? He called us colorful cockroaches. Um, and and for he, a lot uses, of people, he uses that term a lot. He, he does. does. Yes. He does. He calls a lot of people cockroaches. And a lot of people took offense to that. Yeah. And like it it really made waves. But I'm really grateful for the Shark Tank experience because, I mean, 7 million people watched the show. So it was free marketing for us. Um, I learned a lot about myself in that instance. I learned that I was stronger than I thought. Um, I learned a lot more about business. And the reality is we weren't even investable at that time. Mm. Like we knew nothing about business. A lot of entrepreneurs think that, you know, money is like the end all be all or that will solve all your problems. And it's like, no, you might just need a better team or mm. no, you might need to be a little bit more creative. No, mm. you might need to rebrand. Yeah. And so all of those things were true for the lip bar in that moment. But it's like, I don't know if I would have learned it without Shark Tank. Yeah. Or I don't know if I would have learned it as quickly. Well, so that's a great uh, perspective. Yeah. Because you you have to know when someone's treating you poorly, mm-hmm. but you also need to kind of be take, honest. take, yeah, be honest with yourself. You got to exactly. be honest with yourself. Yeah. You just got to say have like, a lot okay, of those. well, even in those like harsh or cruel moments, like see if there's any value that you can take out of it. Because I mean, life happens. Like you'll hear a million no's, you'll fail a bunch of times. And so I have always been the the type of entrepreneur to sit, to like ask myself, like, what could you have done better in that instance? Yeah. And so in asking myself that question, I, I arrived at, at a better business. Yeah. How are y'all doing now? Oh, I mean, we're good. We're, we're growing. Like we grew... We're basically growing 300% year over year. Um, we're still very small, but but we're in like a, we're in growth mode. Mm. What would you like to see for the lip bar five years from now? Oh, in five years, I would hope that we've been acquired by a private equity firm or um, or a multinational corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, Estee Lauder, I know you're listening. So Yes. <laughs> do you like Unilever? I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I like them just because they have values. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to be really important for us is that whoever we end up partnering with is someone who truly believes in our core values. And that's like that you don't have to transform in order to be mm-hmm. beautiful, mm-hmm. that you are enough. Yeah. We've seen Unilever pick up uh, Shea Moisture and we've seen Procter & Gamble pick up uh, Bevel mm-hmm. and Walker Brand, Walker & Co. I want to leave by talking about how what you would want people to take from this and where do you want people to find you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just like, you got to keep going. Like, it sounds like something that's really simple. Um, and it is very simple, but it's a lot harder in practice because as an entrepreneur, you're going to experience um, an incredible amount of self-doubt, of imposter syndrome. And I just want you to know that it's very normal, but you just got to push through. You got to remember your why and you got to really know your purpose. And so in those moments, just don't give up, keep going, understand that everything is within you and and you have to be very careful with what you allow to be around you. Um, so if you guys want to check out The Lit Bar, you can find us at thelitbar.com on all social, The Lit Bar, and also in Target stores across the country. All right. Thank you so much for being here thank and for you. telling the story. I, I know a lot of people are going to get something out of it. Yeah, thank you. 
Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast.